It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on Talent Talk. I have a very special show for you, uh, all of our listeners here today. We're excited about. We've got one guest who we'll announce here in just a moment. And, you know, kind of the way the show works is I have the privilege of meeting a lot of these inspiring leaders all the time at different events, at conferences, or LinkedIn, or wherever I kind of run across some of these inspiring people. And what we've done is just put this show together uh, in order for you to listen to our dialogue and hopefully you know, pick up something that will impact your own career in a positive way. Um, you know, as these different topics are, are happening each week, there seems to be something in, new in a- HR or in employee engagement or talent management that uh, everyone's talking about. So we hope to kind of bring that to you here each week and be as timely as we can. The Talent Talk Radio Show is uh, happens here uh, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And... Um, we also have uh, most of our actual listeners come in through the podcast on either iTunes or iHeartRadio. And we have over 280,000 of you that tuned in last week and downloaded one of our podcasts. So big thank you to everyone who's doing that, uh, who's uh, sharing it with their network, uh, listening to the shows, uh, whatever it may be. We really appreciate your interaction. Um, if you have a question here for my guest today, uh, you can submit it via Twitter. Uh, just uh, pop in that question if there's space add the at people g2 but most importantly you got to have that hashtag talent talk my producer mike will be monitoring the hashtag uh, during the show and if he sees a good question uh, he's gonna shoot it over to me and we'll try to work it into the show before we uh, let our guests off the hook but let's go ahead and get to that guest uh today we are really uh, privileged and excited to have uh, michael arena a phd is a chief talent officer for General Motors Corporation. I'm, I'm sure you might have heard of them. Um, and so, as I mentioned, he'll be here for the whole show. So we get to kind of go slow down a little bit and go uh, deep with him. But, uh, Michael, uh, let's go ahead and get the introductions. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, not too bad for uh, a Tuesday in April. I don't know how the rest of the country is, but we finally have stopped the rain. So we're doing well. But maybe you can tell a little bit about yourself Uh uh, what you're doing at General Motors, and and maybe just kind of a quick update of you know kind of who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it is a beautiful day here in Detroit, and we love when we can say that the sun is shining brightly. Um, and again, I appreciate being on the show. Uh, so I I run talent management and development for the organization. So that includes you know everything you would consider in that space, um, all of our talent management activities, um, employee engagement development portfolio across the enterprise, uh, so that includes sort of our senior leadership development portfolio and programs along with, you know, much of our learning activity um, from a professional development standpoint. So. so as you kind of, you know, summarize there, you're, you're, you're looking at everything, responsible for everything under that word talent and, you know, from a leadership development and strategic planning uh, level as well. So. You know, I kind of look at people like yourself, and they're usually pretty passionate about at least one or two things, sometimes a lot more than that. But maybe within that scope of, of your job, you know, what really is exciting you, you know, that you might put in those that one or two things that you're passionate about category, you know, around your work? It'll be very hard to narrow me down to one or two things. <laughs> um, but but I, I guess, I mean, so certainly people development and, you know, human capital strategies and you know, what, what has emerged, you know, really over the last decade, and I think the last few years, you know, I'm really, 
I'm really um, intrigued about how do we apply hard sciences to soft skills, and how do we think about, you know, with the advancements in analytics and the advancements in technology and, and even our ability to be able to measure human behavior, how do we apply that um, to the HR space? So that that's absolutely an area that I'm, I'm very fascinated by. I think the other one would be, if I had to narrow it to two, would be how do we how do we create environments for active learning and active development? So rather than sitting passively inside the classroom and you know using traditional forums for learning and development, how do you actually engage people in real live business challenges um, and create scenarios where they're driving business impact and developing at the same time? Um, and and those are two things that. And we spend quite a bit of time on here. In the latter, you know, it's even in the context of applying, you know, things like design thinking, uh, where people can learn by doing um, in in sort of these finite times in space. So, well, what you're bringing up here about active development reminds me a lot about the sort of discussion that we've been having for for the last couple of years about about reviews and you know, people are looking at should they be doing an annual review and how effective is that? And I think. Maybe what you're bringing up is is for this active development. Is it really effective to have people go sit in a classroom once every quarter or whatever that sequence of time is? Or is it better to try to have this more of an active scenario where, where the learning is occurring as a regular part of the culture and the development that's happening on a regular basis as opposed to, hey, go sit in this classroom for a day or two, right. ignore your job, you know, get behind in everything you're doing and, and feel completely you know, disconnected from your work for a few days while we shove something down your throat. Is that kind of what you're, you're, you're relating here? Yeah. Um, well, I think everything has its time and place. So, you know, I think that the traditional you know, sort of classroom approach, you know, still applies in some circumstances. But I sure. think the way we deliver it, you know, and the doses that we deliver it in, you know, so I think sitting somebody, locking someone into a room when they're used to moving around, you know, every single moment of every single day and kind of locking them down for three days feels like undue punishment um, oftentimes. And I think you know, what I'm suggesting is we can improve that process by finding ways to actively engage people in business challenges in that context. Uh, but there, but there's also a way of getting them out and about solving business problems and then doing sense-making and now, again, design thinking types of approaches to better understand what they just did, what they learned, and most importantly, how that will shape behavior moving forward. Right. And you also mentioned this, that the, this fascination you have around that kind of science of talent and the things that are coming out from from that perspective. I mean, there's a lot of great uh, leaders right now in that space. One that really comes to mind right now for me has been um, Adam Grant with a lot of the work that he's done yeah, um, yeah. And, and many others. But you know, it's it's funny for me to ha- hear you say that, and it shouldn't be, but it's funny because we generally on this show have, we spent, I would say, a good part of 2016 blaming the Industrial Revolution and those that maybe were a part of it for a, a lot of the management problems that happen now that people have this kind of archaic idea of what talent, you know, how do you manage the talent that you have, you have to see them to, to know they're working, they need to be shuffling a paper around in order for you to think they're productive. And so from a big company like yours, um, it would be really easy to say, well, you guys are probably just, you know, living in that world still as well. But obviously you're not. I mean, you guys are kind of applying some more forward thinking um, to what you're doing. Are there some some specific things you're doing in that area, you know, more recently that maybe might surprise people that that you guys are involved in from an engagement and and management standpoint of your talent? Yeah, I mean, I think there are numerous things we could talk about. Um, I, don't, I don't view this even close to being, you know, going, and we work a lot with Adam. We've worked with Adam, uh, and I don't think he would articulate it this way either. It's not about the Industrial Revolution. It's using advanced techniques to, to better understand the nuance of human behavior so people can make choices. And it's mm-hmm. not really sort of forcing anybody into a predictive model. It's really using more evidence-based approaches uh, so that you can empower people to, to make choices around things. So, so if you, you know, quite differently than, you know, the old-time uh, study, you know, sort of Frederick Taylor analyses, um, you know, of, of the one-size-fits-all approach, I think we live in a world where 
there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach, and we're trying to find you know, different approaches. In fact, I would oftentimes say, and then I'll get specific to your question, I would also say that you know, the, the days of best practices are over. We should be looking for you know, evidence-based practices in the context of what you're operating in, and that's where I think the data helps. Um, so, we're, yeah, we are doing that for everything from trying to help people identify what their career path should be, um, so that they can sort of self-nominate for a career that would be interesting to them. Uh, and we use data to help drive that to, you know, really looking at things like engagement. You know, so what are the, the key traits and how do we evaluate that in such a way that we can change the way we work um, so that people can feel, you know, more enriched in the way that they step into the work environment. So, and I can dive into lots of details on either of those. Sure, go ahead. I mean, I, I think it's really fascinating um, and looking at those different areas. I, I love that you said that era of best practices is over. I don't know what it is about those words together that has always not felt comfortable for me. It's sort of like shoving everyone in a box or just kind of bringing everyone down to the mediocre level. There's just something uncomfortable about that term. So I, I like kind of what you're saying, and maybe you can expand a little bit on that. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think best practices were a substitute for we didn't have the evidence to be able to tell us what the right approach was. Right. Mm-hmm. So the best thing we do, and I think we've done this historically, is we go look at other organizations and we see what they're doing. And then we jump on the bandwagon and we try what they're doing and we apply it in a different context. And those best practices don't always transfer, uh, you know, because the world's different. You know, so what we're trying to do is even even something like leadership what works, and Adam's fantastic at saying this in his new book, what works in one context might not be, and you're very successful with, might not be the same approach that you can apply to a different circumstance. So so we look at things uh, like personas, leadership personas, and we think about you know, what are the different ways of, what are the different types of leaders and try to use a, an innovative creative lens around it in order to um, to help people think about the fact that you can lead differently in different contexts. Right. Well, maybe we uh, kind of shift a little bit here. I know that uh, I'm going to guess that strategic workforce planning is something that might be a very um, in- intensive and maybe intentional process that you guys kind of think about and go through. Maybe we can kind of talk a little bit about that process and maybe what are some of the metrics that go into to workforce planning there at GM, really that enables your company to continue to be, to be successful year after year. Yeah, so um, first I need to, to share with you how we think about workforce planning. Um, so we really have two levels of analytics that we have inside of the organization. One is sort of the baseline of you know, standard strategic workforce planning, and you know, I'll dive deep into that question in a second. And then on top of that, we, we actually have an advanced analytics team of data scientists that are looking at you know, modeling and doing you know, more of the predictive work of building models uh, that are useful to help people, you know, again, make better choices. In the strategic workforce planning space, to be specific to your question, you know, I mean, we, we do monthly reporting. We look at business plans. We look at demographics. Um, we, we build forecasts. We you know, we need to know how many people, for example, in a given function that we're going to hire in a given month. And you know, we use that to, to literally drive sort of the transactional processes of getting the right people into the right organization at the right time. Uh, and then we look at other things. We look at, um, you know, if, if we have attrition problems, we look at those things. If we, you know, so we, we do an analysis, you know, even pro or preemptively in lots of different areas demographics and, and so on. Yeah, and how does that, you know, maybe look internally when you kind of get down to more granular level to you have people who are on assembly lines, you have people that are providing support, you have, you know, customer service, you have a large organization, and then you also have, you know, being an international organization as well. I mean, does that start to really get, you know, overly complex when you're looking at it, or are you looking at it from a much higher level than that? Um, it could. It could get overly complex, um, but we, we try to look at it at a fairly broad level. Um, we try to you – know, so we do have some standardized reporting, and you know, we only push that down to a certain level. 
um, so that people can look at where they're performing versus others across the organization. We don't. Um, I would say on the advanced analytics side, we'll do commission studies where we may, you know, we may get an inquiry from a business leader that they're, they have a concern with some topic, and then we'll dive in and do a deeper analysis. But on the more standardized stuff, um, you know, we, we don't necessarily push it down to that level. Well, uh, uh, this has been fascinating so far, and I want to make sure we're going to next we're going to talk about the Innovation Exchange Lab. I want to ask you about that, but we need to jump to our first commercial break. Uh, here and uh, pay the bills and do all that. So we'll be back after our first uh, uh, commercial break here real quick. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Again, I have uh, Michael Arena, the Chief Talent Officer of uh, General Motors here on with us. And I uh, wanted to next kind of maybe dive into something that caught my eye uh, that you've been involved in and maybe you can explain to everyone what it is and maybe what some of the results were uh, of uh, Innovation Exchange Lab. Yeah, absolutely. So the, it's a little bit of a follow-on to what I was describing before about people want to be engaged in environments where they can actively learn. Uh, so the Innovation Exchange Lab is, is really a physical space. Um, it used to be you know, what we would call our old learning center. Um, and we redesigned the space to, to think about it much more in a startup fashion to where you've got these creative spaces where people can congregate and come together. Um, we do some traditional learning there. Uh, we do have a leadership development lab there where we will bring some people together periodically. Uh, but it's also you know, sort of a very creative space, really predicated on two primary principles. One is that um, you know, we, don't, we don't large complex organizations, and I don't think we're too different than any other organization on this behalf, don't really suffer from a deficit of ideas. We've got lots of ideas in organizations. What they really suffer from is an inability to connect those ideas up. So in the Innovation Exchange Lab, we, we hold events. Uh, they're always cross-sub-teams or groups. Uh, so our intention is to you know, do cross-fertilization work, hence exchange. And it's really all about new ideas and generating new practices um, and, and thoughts. Um, and then that, that's really predicated on the fact that you know, in a large, complex organization, innovation in particular is as much of a social phenomenon as it is a technological one. So, so that's what we do. We hold events there. Uh, we do you know, what we call tech talks, which is kind of our version of TED Talks, um, and, and numerous other events to bring people together and, and share all the different things that we're working on. What, what sort of uh, ideas or you know, things have come out of that that maybe we might, you know, the kind of average person listening might we recognize? Um, so lots of things. Usually it is for the business and for the workplace. So we've uh, had people come together and they've designed new apps to help us uh, think about, you know, things like talent across the organization. Uh, we have had people actually, you know, go into these spaces and look at things like workspace design. Um, mm -hmm. And then they would bring together 
people. We we literally actually had somebody at one point in time come in as a small group and read because they had a problem with the lunch experience, and they you know talked about how do we redesign the lunch experience uh, for the organization, and and they brought it together a group of people using again different innovation principles, you know to to attack problems and go try to solve them. Uh, but these are always teams of you know, different groups from across, you know, really southeast Michigan in this case. Uh, and it's a fantastic idea. I mean, you get people together, they have good ideas, but when you get them talking amongst, you know, these different departments, you're you're not only connecting them in a different way, but you're getting different talents and different uh, viewpoints. Um, I've probably read 10 books that's probably suggested some form of that. So it's really fascinating that you guys are having you know, these good results with that and, and really um, kind of being able, I mean, you guys have the size and the resources to be able to really put that together in a, in a mass way, but it's, it's fascinating to hear that you, know, you guys are being really successful with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really well. You know, to maybe give, some, give the listeners some idea that maybe if they don't follow GM every day or they don't, maybe they don't have stock or, or something, you know, how many employees big is GM? Uh, Two hundred and fifteen thousand. So just just a uh, so, few, okay. And uh, <laughs> um, and you know, so think about that. So from a complexity standpoint, you know, twenty three time zones. I, I think last time I looked, like seventy different languages. Uh, so you know, I mean, you've got some pretty significant complexities across the multiple time zones, all the different countries we do business in, and and we are you know very active, you know, internationally. I can't imagine how big your inbox is. So you must be getting emails constantly. <laughs> yes. And 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 is there a, a breakdown, a rough breakdown that you you're, you can maybe pull off the top of your head on? How, how does that compare? You know, how does the United States numbers compare to, let's say, the rest of the world uh, as far as employees go? Yeah. Well, the more I don't know the actual employee headcount at the, off the top of my head. The 70,000 70, of those two hundred and fifteen thousand are salaried employees. Um, I will say that the majority of our business is done outside of the states uh, mm-hmm. these days, and and our employee population. I mean, we are certainly a uh, U.S. Uh, headquartered company here in Detroit, so we've got you know quite a few employees here, but um, we are we are fairly widely dispersed across the globe. Yeah. Well, if you're being in twenty three time zones, I guess so. I, you may have to hire someone for that that last time zone, I guess. Or, right. But. Uh, yeah, I mean that's uh, it, it's one of those challenges that you know I'm not sure I'll ever have to, to deal with in my lifetime. But you know when you is organizations become more and more complex and spread out, and you have the languages, uh, things just seem to be that much more uh, important that this, the the strategy of the company is really on on uh, on point is being communicated to a level that everyone can understand it. And that you have the ability and the innovation to maybe pivot when things aren't working correctly. That you know it doesn't take you 18 months to realize that everything's not working and, and have to run and change. You know, I know one of your interests comes into really that human capital management and maybe even kind of shifting it to that uh, social capital, human capital to social capital. So maybe you can share a little bit about what that means and how your company will be able to accomplish some of that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, so most of what we've done in the human resource space, you know, over the years, and, and that would include most companies, is, you know, what we would call human capital-centric approaches, right? So how do we develop people? How do we build competencies? How do we build talent management systems, performance management systems? You know, there is, um, I consider myself at times to be a pracademic, which means we're, we and I are always paying attention to, you know, what's happening in the research um, in regards to what's happening with behavior in particular. And there is a growing body of research that says that, you know, social capital is increasingly more and more critical to complex businesses. And, you know, there's strong correlations between, you know, your network position. So any person as an individual's network position and how highly compensated they are, how quickly they will become promoted, or, you know, even... Um, things like, you know, how successful they are, you know, position after position, and and these things have been correlated. So we've been thinking, how do you how do you approach 
behavior and development from a social capital perspective. And one of the ways you do that is through leveraging organizational network analysis to help people to understand exactly how they are positioned inside of an organization and what that means to them um, as they're thinking about driving success both for themselves and enabling success for others around them. Well, you get into the concept here of self-awareness or, or helping them be aware of where they're at and maybe even, you know, how that how that correlates to the outside world. We, we, we see that all the time. That's sometimes the hardest thing is to get people to to be aware of their situation, to be aware of what, what they have, and maybe the grass isn't always green on the other side, right. And, right. And, and, and how well things maybe are working for them as, as a part of your own value proposition uh, to, to maintain your talent. Is that kind of where you're headed with that? Yeah, I mean, that's partially it, for sure, and, and you have to have a lot of self-awareness, and you have to be paying attention to how you're relating with other people. And then some of it is, you know, I mean, we have all known very, very smart people in our careers that um, have a lot to share but aren't always positioned well enough to be able to share that, either on their own behalf you know, because they have you know, sort of discredited themselves in the way they deliver content, mm-hmm. or maybe they're just not positioned in the organization appropriately. Um, so what we try to do is, is really unleash the potential of everybody. You know, how do we create you know, sort of social configurations is the best way to think about it, where, where people can really you know, sort of realize their unfulfilled potential. And then we can take that to roles. Like we, we look for people who are brokers, and brokers are people that you know, bridge across different groups, and you know, they're instrumental in coming up with new insights and driving you know, sort of original thinking. We look at people who are central connectors, and you know, they're, they're phenomenal at driving productivity and you know, creating you know, sort of greater execution across the organization. And then the, the newer thing that we're looking at is energy. You know, people who just produce energy inside of an organization and get other people around them excited about new ideas or you know, even existing strategies. And, and really, you can think of people in you know, some primary role prototypes um, or personas, if you prefer, and, and we've been thinking fairly um, deliberately about that. How do you identify someone who's a social connector or one of those other you know, kind of unique categories that you mentioned? Well, I mean, so one of the ways is we, we run surveys, and um, we are able to, you know, we almost, we do these only in a commissioned basis. So we will work with a small group. We will ask people if they want to opt into a survey, um, and then we can literally show them how they're connected to other people um, and share that as kind of a developmental platform. Uh, we do some webinars on the different roles and, and try to teach what it means to be a broker and, you know, how you can, you know, more fully leverage your abilities as a broker or, you know, your abilities as, you know, a connector. A connector is a person who has high degrees of trust. And people just, you know, when they bring a new idea or when they try to implement something, people just trust them ex- implicitly so they're able to get stuff done quickly. Uh, so that's generally we can do that by showing them where they fit on the network through you know, these surveys that we conduct. Yeah, and th- those types of people sometimes feel like they are anomalies, or it's hard to you know quantify who they really are. But they, they certainly can be just vastly important to organizations because, as you mentioned, sure. they seem to carry a certain clout, a certain trust, and you know. How they got to that point is maybe less clear, but at least if you're able to properly identify them, then um, the organization can help them leverage that better, can help them. uh, They can come back and help the organization leverage things going forward in a more productive way. And uh, it seems it's not my favorite term, but in this context, a win-win for everybody in that in that regards, that those people who are good at that are going to help further their career, and the organization can take advantage of those talents as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's also, and I don't want to pigeonhole people, because you could be a broker in one network, and you know, in, a, in another network that you work in with, you know, on a daily basis, you may be a central connector. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we, we got to be careful, and we are, around labeling people one of these roles, what we're doing really, and I mentioned this on the front end, is we're sharing a profile with them and giving them the choice, you know, to decide, you know, how do I leverage being a broker if, in fact, that's how I am connected to other people 
uh, but they they very much may choose you know to become more connected, and then they can think about how do they intentionally build relationships um, before they ever need them. Right. So really, what we're trying to do is provide people with again knowledge about themselves, um, about how certain roles behave, and then they have choice in regards to you know if they want to respond to that and leverage it. Well, I, I love that you guys are actively trying to make sure you're not pigeonholing anybody there, and. Um, and, and how people can really play different roles in, in different uh, contexts. That's it's um, it's really good to hear because I mean we can go back to Adam Grant. We can use his uh, other book, Give and Take, as an example. I mean, for any, most people I, uh, who listen to the show have probably read it because we've talked about it a million times. But you know, no one is ever a giver, a taker, and a matcher. Just one thing that you, right. there's different contexts in, in which you might apply a different approach. And so whether or not someone's a broker or social connector and all these different will really depend on who's the group and who's the network and what what is their authority or their level of expertise in that in that regard. So it's really encouraging to hear that an organization as large as yours is really looking at that as deeply as it is um, because it can be a great lesson to those other companies that are looking in to someone like a company like your own for, you know, uh, some sort of bit of leadership on how they might proceed with their own companies. Yes, great. And it's, I would also say it's not just about you know, doing an analysis and understanding how people are connected. It's also about understanding network theory in such a way that you can create an environment for change. And mm-hmm. you know, when I think of the great places to work you know, across the world, um, one of the things that they, they focus a lot on, either implicitly or explicitly, is kind of social pressures. And, and what I mean by that is... You know, social norms is a better way of saying it. You know, people care for other people. People look out for other people. And if you think about that from a network standpoint, you can create an environment um, where people truly are not just respecting each other, but really you know, sort of enabling one another to perform better. And you know, those are the types of things that we're we're trying to think much more deliberately about. Right. Well, I know another theory that you you you've brought into GM. Maybe you can talk. Uh, us kind of through how this is, is working and, and and maybe explain a little bit to, to the audience uh, this complexity leadership theory or CLT. Um, you, what is that and how are you putting it in place at GM? Um, yeah, yeah. So I got I to gotta go a little theoretical on you first and then I'll All talk right. about application. Um, so this is research that I personally have been engaged in for about the last decade with um, some, some co-researchers, uh, Mary Yulbeen in particular, uh, who's a leadership expert on a TCU. Um, and we were interested in a, a simple question. Uh, the simple question is, why is it that some ideas inside large, complex organizations garner attention and momentum and manifest into successes, be it a successful process or a successful product, whatever it happens to be, and yet seemingly equally fit ideas you know, do not? And, and we were just really interested. So what is it? What is it that enables an idea to become, you know, an innovation or a new strategy or a new, you know, significant learning in organizations. So, so we went out and interviewed, and, and we've worked with large, complex organizations. I think we've interviewed comprehensively about 400 people now um, across all these different large organizations. And from that, what we found out, um, and, and just really simplistically is, and some of this will sound very obvious, but what, what, what we found out is that every organization that we interviewed had an operating system or an operational system, which is essentially the way formal work gets done. Um, And that's how organizations are organized, so there's no surprise there. Every organization, even those that weren't successful at getting ideas pushed through and, you know, building adaptive strategies, also have what we call an entrepreneurial system. Uh, And that's where new ideas originate. Now, some of these ideas maybe have never really moved through an organization, but all those ideas were embedded inside of an organization. What we found that was missing um, from the organizations that weren't repetitively successful versus those that were is a third dimension, which we call adaptive space. And adaptive space is best thought of as a bridge between you know these new ideas in the from the entrepreneurial system that are usually kind of in a local environment deep inside of an organization and the formal system uh, which we'll call the 
operational system in this case. So, so what we have found, and, and we've gone out and analyzed, again, lots of different companies, um, some very innovative and adaptive ones that people talk about all the time, um, and, and they have this adaptive space in place. Um, so, so the real question is, that's great, you can discover that, and it seems to resonate, it seems to make sense um, with people as we tell that story backwards, but can you create it? And that's what we've been now getting to application. That's what we've been doing here is we've been trying to create adaptive space, which is you know, sort of like a finite time and space for people to come together. It's kind of this active learning thing again, um, but it's around business challenges. And, and we've got different interventions that we put together. Uh, we've, we've called the initiative, the overall initiative, GM 2020. And it's really predicated on what would it look like if we brought together groups of people that we're going to co-create a new future um, starting today but targeting the year 2020. Um, and, that, and that's what we've done. And, you know, it's kind of an, both a formal and informal set of mechanisms, um, and it's really you know, just created a lot of buzz and energy inside of the organization uh, for people to kind of self-organize but around critical business challenges. Um, and there are a series of interventions that I can go into much more detail on. Well, we're uh, talking to uh, uh, Michael Rina here, the Chief uh, Talent Officer of General Motors, and kind of uh, revolve around adaptive space right now. We're going to take a quick, our uh, last uh, commercial break here and come back and uh, maybe go a little bit deeper on that topic. So uh, stick with us. Wow. Marketing predictions are out for 2015, and marketing success is changing. Did you know that Google is now actively tracking your business and personal brand and online reputation? Online and offline marketing has changed. Google is driving more than 85% of your traffic. And if your brand is inconsistent or has poor mobile usability, your rankings and traffic can suffer in 2015. To learn how your business is currently viewed, and what can be done to improve your brand's visibility and authority? Contact SunUp Group for a free marketing analysis. It could be a business game changer. Visit www.sunupgroup.com today or call 877-609-3840, extension 700. When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit axpgold.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at axpgold.com. All right, welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. So we're we're talking about adaptive space as it relates to this operational system and maybe the entrepreneurial system within an organization. Michael, maybe we could go a little bit deeper here and maybe give some examples of what adaptive space is. I mean, is it an allotted time that hey, Friday from two to four p.m. we're all going to sit in a room and drink beer and come up with ideas, or is it hey, you can spend twenty percent of your time working on whatever you want, or, you know, is there some clear examples that might help people understand yeah. this better? Absolutely. Um, and it's a, it's a series of different things, and what we, what we find is there's no one approach to being able to do this. There are numerous things, and you've got to keep a cadence up. You've got to keep, you know, engaging people on an ongoing basis. But I'll give you a couple of real live examples. I mean, we, once a year we do a giant summit. A summit is kind of a two-day forum where we may bring together as many as 300 people, and you know they're they're working on a business challenge. And these are people you know throughout Southeast Michigan in this case because we're keeping this naturally networked bound, if you will. Um, and and there are people that are working on you know specific business issues across those two days. So we're using lots of design thinking principles, kind of high energy, large group intervention very business-focused, an executive business sponsor driving this. Um, and then we do that, you know, once a year, and that's really kind of a community-building activity. But there are specific outcomes um, that people work on, and, you know, that, that could include everything from cultural 
you know, changes, um, environmental changes, change in local workspace. But what we're really doing is trying to empower people to go take action, um, you know, coming out of these events. Then what we do is, in a, in a cadenced approach, is we do things like a collab. A collab is, and we've done a multitude of collabs, you know, across time, but you can best think of a collab as like a more like 50 to 60 people and it's kind of like a 24-hour business challenge hackathon um, along with kind of like a shark tank pitch at the end. So think about it like this. If there are teams of five, and let's say there are eight teams of five or ten teams of five, uh, depending on the size of a group, you know, they're all working on the same problem you know, across from 12 o'clock day one to 12 o'clock day two. And they're prototyping it. They're building it. They're using, again, design thinking principles. Uh, their intent is to build new experiences if it's a service-related challenge or new work environments, if it's you know, solving a work environment problem or you know, space challenge. And they're literally mocking up and building prototypes of what they think you know, this new solution should look like. And then at the end of the day, they each get three minutes to pitch their idea. Um, and generally what happens is one of those ideas is selected. Sometimes there are so many good ideas that we may select more than one. But, you know, the executive sponsor panel at the end of the day is saying, you know, hey, I endorse this idea. I'm going to put resources behind it to support it. And most importantly, I'm going to engage the, the winning team or teams to, to really, you know, sort of help carry this strategy forward and help to develop it out. You know, across the organization. So those those are some examples of things that we do. Uh, we got some online sort of crowdsourcing social idea sites for people to share ideas, um, and then we do a lot of you know, short burst activities. You know, again, I mentioned tech talks as an example, um, and then you know, there are other things like um, we do something we call Catalyst Camp, which is. Uh, really teaching people how to take that to the next level and and use you know some innovation techniques to build on ideas in their local environment. So so those are just some real examples of um, what we call you know sort of 2020 applications or practices. So you know GM has taken this idea and really run with it. Uh, and you mentioned that you you looked at other companies as well and how they were doing mm-hmm. it. So is this something that really is going to more resonate with, you know, a Fortune 100 company, a large company, or do you see this have an application maybe at, at, in, in different, uh, you know, levels or different severities for for any type of organization? Yeah, I, I do. I think that the entry point may be very different for uh, different types of organizations. You know, if you're talking about a small startup, you know, they're probably already pretty entrepreneurial. They're probably mm-hmm. already doing some entrepreneurial activities and, you know, some of their challenges may be how do we scale. And, you know, the adaptive space activities help you, could help you to scale as well. Um, so, so they would enter in at a very different point than what perhaps a large, complex organization would. Um, but, I, but I think the model robustly, you know, applies you know, across all different types of organizations. Right. And then right. what I would also say is, you know, I, I mostly describe to you different practices um, and interventions that we're using. And some of the organizations that are really good at this, um, you know, they it's principle-centric. In other words, they kind of have principles that are already embedded in the culture, and they just naturally operate this way. Um, they just naturally have, you know, what we call adaptive space. Um, that, that just sort of is driven through the way, the norms and the principles and the way that an organization thinks. Um, so it just happens more naturally inside of those organizations. Um, and what we think for them is that they need to continue to apply these practices so that they don't sort of solidify into becoming too rigid, too uh, formal over the long haul. But their, their entry point would be very, very different than an organization who's been in business for 100 years. Right, right. And you see, you kind of mentioned these differences between your, your different groups, um, and different, you know, maybe divisions or how that breaks down. And, and so one of the things I was curious about prior to, to our interview here today was, you know, with an organization as large as yours, you're going to probably have just about every leadership style out there with people in all sorts of different types of leadership positions, whether it's a senior management position or a middle management position or just leading a, a small team. 
does, does GM in general look for a particular type of leader or do you train them to try to become a particular type of leader or is there a different way in which you're sort of ingesting or, or, or um, kind of dealing with this kind of complex, uh, you know, variation of different types of leaders and leadership styles within an organization as big as yours? Yeah, you know, um, like many companies, we have a competency model, and, and we certainly teach that competency model. Um, but I think we're pretty flexible in that we know that, you know, that isn't the only approach. Um, you know, so we, we don't necessarily, uh, again, lock people into, you know, this is what it looks like to be a successful leader here, although there's evidence that says, you know, this is a profile of a person who routinely is successful here. Um, what I would say is, you know, a large company is many organizations at the same time. So what would happen um, in one context, and, and again, this gets a little bit back to, you know, some of the conversation about Adam's most recent work um, with the originals, is that the you know, what it takes to be successful in one even geographical space may be different. You know, you have to be a little more gritty, much more entrepreneurial, and, you know, you have to be able to find and secure resources when you're in a you know, sort of a remote third world geography inside of the company as opposed to you know, what it takes to manage you know, in some of the mature markets for us. So, yeah, there are definitely nuances, um, and we pay attention to that. We don't, you know, we don't think that everybody should look and act the same way. Right, right. I mean, certainly, like, to your point, there's some basic tenets of good leadership, but maybe – a successful leader in Detroit is not going to be the same thing as a successful leader in, in Beijing. So uh, there's certainly going to be differences there. I just the fascinating part for me was you know how do you how do you leverage that? How do you manage that? And it sounds like uh, what you guys are trying to do is is to p- promote a particular set of values, but allow them that freedom and that. Uh, uh, sort of autonomy to go out there and, and, and to be to be good leaders if they're if they're proving to be so uh, within those different groups. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Well, we, we, we've given Adam about a hundred plugs here, so I'm assuming you've <laughs> yeah, already really. read his book. But uh, is there another book that you're reading right now that you might tell us about? You know, yeah. I mean, there. So I, I love Sandy Pentland. It's, it's a little bit older now, um, and Sandy has taught me. A ton. So Sandy Pentland up at the MIT Media Lab, um, his book on social physics it was um, his book, and even his work before the book was sort of game changing for me. Um, and it's it's really predicated on you know much of what we talked about um, in regards to how people come together. Um, you know, so Sandy Pentland's work, uh, Honest Signals, and then you know, most recently Social Physics are are two really really powerful books for me. Um, you know, I, and I also just, you know, I guess I would say, you know, sort of, uh, I read a lot of articles, um, and, you know, I, I love Ron Burt's work, uh, and he recently uh, wrote up some work around, and I talk a lot about social roles, and but he recently wrote a, a fairly comprehensive paper around network oscillation and how people can't get fixed into one profile, but they got to move back and forth. So, I mean, those are some of the things that I read that are um, really intriguing to me. Those are some quality suggestions and not ones that come up very often, some of them not at all in the past with the other guests. So some real variety here um, I'm sure that the listeners will appreciate. Uh, as a reminder, we will have a blog uh, kind of summary of this, and we'll list all the books and, and things that Michael mentioned here today in case you didn't have a pen. You can find them on peopleg2.com in the blog section. Uh, you know, you mentioned a, just a really a wide range of things today. If you could, if you were to kind of summarize up maybe your best point or two from from the things that we talked about today, what do you think? You know, someone listening to this conversation should really take take away or, or think, go back and think about within their their own organizations. Um, you know, I guess if I had to summarize it, I would say that you know we in the HR space need to think about more creative, innovative solutions to a world that is rapidly changing. And we now have, you know, new approaches, you know, through anything from network analytics to network analysis to, you know, what we're doing with predictive analytics, um, just as a couple examples, um, but also what we're learning about engagement and energy in organizations. So I, I would just summarize by saying we need to keep reinventing ourselves as a, 
a human resource entity. And, and I think that um, as we do that, we will provide more and more value to the business. And you know, I think we're well on our way to doing that. And um, I think it's absolutely essential. I think you know somebody recently wrote, I can't remember if it was a Forbes article or what, but the war for talent is over, talent has won. Uh, so we as organizations are going to have to get much more creative and much more bold as we think about talent solutions uh, moving into the future because it's it's going to become harder than ever for mm-hmm. organizations to compete on the talent front. Well, if people are interested in learning more about uh, all the great work that you're doing at GM, especially around this side, you know, subcategory of talent here, it, should they follow a particular person? Is there a a place where this information might be found where they might be able to digest more or kind of track the great things you guys are doing? Yeah, I mean, I think there are numerous places that we've presented uh, some of this. Um, you know, we don't necessarily post it, um, and I think it's still very much a work in progress as well, um, but there are also a few articles and interviews um, that we could provide access to. Yeah. Well, um, and maybe they might be able to follow you on LinkedIn if those kind of articles or things like that appear. But, um, yeah, I could definitely uh, Google uh, Michael there, and I'm sure you could find us some some good information. Uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot of articles with Forbes and different ones. So if you're interested in learning more, definitely check that out. But, uh, Michael, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. I want to really uh, give you heartfelt thanks for, for taking the time out of your very busy day to sit down with us and uh, share what you guys are doing at GM and your own personal thoughts on on talent management it's been uh uh, really enjoyable and again thank you for uh being on the show absolutely chris my pleasure thank you all those you're welcome if all those listening hopefully you've uh, gained something that will help your own career in a positive way uh next week our guests will include beverly k the founder of career systems international and sean murphy the ceo and founder of switch and shift uh, between now and then, check out our previous shows on iTunes, uh, the podcast app, or on the iHeartRadio app on any device. Until then, though, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 